0: In our King series, uh, as Kevin told you today, the title of our message is The Student and the Servant. But just to give you a brief recap, and if you notice each week they're getting more and more brief, but um, we've been studying in the time frame in Israel's history when the kingdom was divided uh, in two. All right, now Israel was divided into a northern and southern kingdoms, and the northern kingdom was called Israel. Uh, and there were ten tribes that went to that kingdom, and there were two tribes that went to the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, now since the split began, since that actually happened, there's been a real problem, because both kingdoms really struggled trying to find a good king. As a matter of fact, you might say they were plagued with evil kings up to this point. Now, Judah did eventually find one good king named Asa, but sadly, Israel wasn't so fortunate. They never did have a good king, not not even one. Okay, now today we're going to pick up our study during the reign of King Ahab. Okay, he was king of Israel. Now, He married a woman named Jezebel, okay, and uh, she was evil. See, Ahab was one of the most evil kings Israel ever had, but that wasn't enough. He had to go and marry like the most evil woman ever. I mean, even more evil than him, all right? So, if you were living in this time in Israel, you would probably say, there's just no hope for us. I mean, we just can't find a good king, you know, But, but today... Today, we start to see a little ray of light, because today, we're going to meet a man that God sent to bring judgment on Ahab. Now, his name is Elijah. How many people have heard that name? Okay, good. Other than when Kevin just said it. But anyway, uh, Elijah was arguably the most powerful prophet that God ever sent. I mean, arguably, but I mean, he did some amazing things. If you read through the scripture, it's just amazing some of the things God empowered him to do. I mean supernatural things, miracles. It's just amazing the things that God used him to do, right? And, and I'm telling you, the stuff he did, it would be hard to stay humble. I mean, literally, we'll look at a lot of that as we move on, but he did just some amazing things. But like any of us, God had to strengthen him and continue to strengthen him if he was going to use him that way. He had to strengthen his faith every time, right? So today we're going to see Elijah as both a powerful servant and a humble student, right? Because nobody becomes a powerful servant of God until they first become a humble student. Nobody, right? The trick is learning to trust God during that student phase. Okay, because sometimes it can be tough, as we'll see here in just a minute. But when you finally do learn that during that time frame to trust God, you'll find out that the power in being a powerful servant is just having strong faith. That's what it is. So anyway, let's jump right into today's lesson. First Kings, I'm going to back up to 1629, then we'll jump into 17. It says, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, died. Or, I'm sorry, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came about as though it had been trivial, a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, uh, king of the Sidonians. And went to serve Baal and worship him. So it looks like he actually got hooked up with Baal because it was Jezebel's god. Uh, verse 32. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Remember that was the capital of Israel at that time. Uh, Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who, who were before him. Okay, so Ahab takes power. His dad was was a good king as far as, you know, financially and, and growing the economy, but spiritually he was a dog. He was just terrible, right? And so he takes over, and right out of the gate we get to see how evil he is. Because one of his first acts, other than marrying the most evil wench around, right, other than that, one of his first acts was instituting the worship of Baal. Okay, he was instituting the worship of Baal, Jezebel's god. Right, now Baal was the Canaanite god of fertility. Okay, now... It was also the Canaanite god of rain. And let me explain that. See, the pagans thought that the god of fertility would also be the one who would bring rain so that the crops would be fertile. So it it, kind of makes sense that he would be the god of both. So if you think about it, at this time, Ahab probably had people, you know, worshiping him in temples and, and offering sacrifices, praying that Baal would continue to bring the rain so that the crops would grow. Okay, so this is where we're at. So God actually decided it was time to show Ahab and Jezebel exactly who was in charge. Now, this is where we, get, uh, we start to meet Elijah. Elijah lived in Gilead, and this was east of the Jordan River by a community called Tishbe. That's why he was called a Tishbite. Now, it wasn't far where he lived. Tishbe wasn't far from Ahab's palace. And just like it does today, news travels really fast, especially bad news. So I'm sure that it wasn't long before Elijah heard about Ahab's new God, this Baal. And he probably heard how he was trying to replace the true God of Israel with this false god of the Canaanites, this Baal, right? Now, Elijah had a passion for God, and everybody knew it, and God knew it, all right? So hearing about Ahab promoting Baal, a false god, over the true God of Israel, I'm sure it hurt him, but more than that, it probably made him really angry, all right? So God chose Elijah to be the one to proclaim Ahab's judgment, okay? Now, let's look at this. For starting in 1 Kings 17. It says, Now, Elijah the Tishbite who was one of the uh, settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, remember that, lives before, uh, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay, so you talk about guts. This nobody walks in, to the, in front of the most evil king that Israel has ever had, who just instituted worship of the Canaanite fertility god, who was also in charge of rain, right? And he walks in and he says, listen, you have sinned before God, so know this, it's not going to rain until I say so. I mean, you talk about guts. He basically walks in to the king and says, I will tell you the next time it's going to rain. I mean, just, just unbelievable. Because he not only challenged Ahab, he challenges God. He challenged Ahab by even opening his pie hole. I mean, no one walks in and says something like that to the king, right, challenges the king. But then he challenges his God, right? And right away, notice he says, the one true God, right? He says that right before him. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, this was his way of saying, by the way, the real God, not your fake God, has sent me here, right? And he's got a message for you. And the message is, there's not going to be any rain. Okay, now Elijah lived up to his name because Elijah's name actually meant Yahweh is my God. That's what his name meant. And everything he did in his life, as you read, and as we, we're going to see a lot of him in 1 Kings and uh, 2 Kings, but uh, a lot of what he did was just to magnify and glorify the true God. I mean, it's just amazing, but that's another sermon. Now, it seems like, you know, God wanted to make a statement here because he's tell, you know, Ahab's telling all the people this is now going to be our God, and he's going to bring us all the great rains to make sure our crops are fertile, and he's going to do all these things. And this is basically God saying, really, Really, I'll tell you what, Ahab, I'll tell you what, Jezebel, I'm gonna take rain away and let's see if your God can bring it back. Let's see if he can bring it back. I mean, after all, that's what he's in charge of. Right? So then, you know, Elijah drops a mic and he walks out. Now you can imagine what the first thing, the first thing Ahab says once he walks out of his throne room is is probably listen, find that guy and kill him. You know that's his next directions. Find that guy. And kill him. Okay, so we see here that Elijah was a powerful servant. I mean, stood in the face of danger like no one else. But now we're going to have to see him become a student again. Because God knew Ahab wanted Elijah dead. He knew that. And he knew he had to hide him. 17, verse 2. 1 Kings 17, verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Now listen, God had more than one reason for wanting to hide Elijah. The first is the most obvious, right? The most obvious was he was trying to hide him and keep him safe from Ahab's men and Ahab's wrath. He knew Ahab probably had forces out looking for him everywhere, wanting to put him to death. But the other reason was less obvious, but probably more important. You see, God wanted Elijah to know that he could always depend on him, and he had to train him to have that kind of faith. He wanted him to know that, right? So he wanted to have some quality time with Elijah, where Elijah had no choice but to completely depend on him so that he could strengthen his faith. God really wanted that time with him, right? Because God was building Elijah's faith because even though he did something that seemed so huge here, and it was huge, wait till you see some of the things he has this guy do, right? I mean, this is small compared to some of the things Elijah's going to do for God. So he's like, listen, you haven't arrived. You know, sometimes we think, uh, you know, because we've been in it a while and because we've been praying and God's been using us. Oh, we've arrived. You never arrive, okay? God, when, you, when he's done using you in this area, you know what he'll do? He'll train you for another area because you never arrive. You always need his training. You always need his instruction, right? So he needed this time with him and he wanted to get him ready for even bigger things he was going to do in the future. So he says, go hide by the brook Cherith, which this is kind of a weird thing to say. Let me explain why, because the brook Cherith, was one of those kind of ravines, actually, that was basically overflow from the rainy season. Okay, you guys starting to see a problem here? The water in that brook was overflow from the rainy season. The problem being, Elijah just said, no more rain. (laughs) Right? No more rain. We're done until I say so. Right, So this meant that that brook where he was hiding would soon dry up. So Elijah had to be thinking to himself, why is God hiding me here? I mean, where will I get food? And where will I get water when this brook dries up? I'll either die of hunger or I'll die of thirst. Right. So God explained to him how he was going to sustain him while he was hiding. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know that this cleared things up a whole lot. This had to still seem pretty weird. 1 Kings verse seven, or 17 verse, six, uh, verse 4 says, It shall be that when you drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So here was God's solution. God says, don't worry about what you're going to eat and don't worry about what you're going to drink. This is something you'll see repeated in the New Testament. He says, don't worry about that. Okay. He said, you can drink from this brook. And I'm gonna have ravens, birds. Big, you guys, everybody knows what ravens are, right? They're kind of cousins to the crow, but much bigger. Okay. He said they're gonna. I'm gonna have them bring you food twice a day, and you'll get a drink from this brook. Okay. And again, this is a really weird solution if you understand much about ravens. Okay. And I'm not gonna lie, I didn't understand much about them until I studied them. But anyway, there's a lot to learn about these birds, right? I mean, there's a lot to learn here. Okay, because ravens in the law of Moses were unclean. Okay, Jews were not supposed to have anything to do with them. They certainly couldn't eat them, right? And so it seems strange that God said, I'll feed you by having ravens bring you food. These are unclean animals that are going to be bringing him food. Now he's going to depend on the bird that in Leviticus literally says that the raven is unclean. I mean, literally, and that's, a, that's who's going to be bringing him his daily meals. Now, a lot of people have asked me why God chose a raven to feed him, and there's several reasons. I'm not going to give you all of them because this isn't the zoology class, okay? So I'll just give you a few. First of all, ravens are big birds, and they can get very, very big. Not big bird like the yellow one. I mean big birds, right? They can end up with a wingspan of over four feet, okay? And that means they can cover a lot of ground. They can cover great distances pretty quickly, right? And think about that that's important because there was a famine in the land at that time so it's not like you could just go down to the corner and go through the drive-through I mean their people were scavenging for food so if these ravens were going to provide twice a day they would have to be able to cover a lot of ground and be able to find food okay they're gonna have to cover a ton of ground now another reason he chose ravens was ravens are expert scavengers I mean, they knew when an animal was about to die, and when an animal did die, and they would go and, and pick meat off of the bone, right? Uh, they, they were really good at, at, they would find nuts and berries that had fallen from the trees, and they would bring those, right? They knew how to find food. They were very, very resourceful, and they were also expert hunters. They could actually, I don't know if you knew this, but a raven can actually kill an animal as big as a rabbit. You know, they could kill a rabbit. So sometimes, he may have been eating a rabbit, who knows? Right? But that's another reason that he chose him. But if you remember, a raven was one of the birds that Noah sent out when they were on the ark. You know, when the flood happened. And the reason he sent the raven out was he knew he could cover a lot of ground, and he knew that he was a great scavenger, and he also knew that if the raven found land, he'd find food, he wouldn't come back. Right? So when the raven didn't come back, he knew that there was land somewhere. Okay? So it's one of the reasons. Now, another reason that they probably chose this, and like I said, I'm not going to go into all of them, was because being an unclean bird, probably not a, peop- a lot of people were looking to shoot it and eat it. So it was probably pretty safe at that time, I'd say, about anything that flew was you know, on the menu when you're in the middle of a, of, a, you know, of a drought and when you're in the middle of a famine. Pretty much anything that moves is on the menu, right? But since a lot of the people around that were of a Jewish influence, they wouldn't have tried to kill that bird because it was considered unclean. right? Now, this whole thing may have seemed nuts. To Elijah, but he knew God was in control, right? And it was important that God teach Elijah to trust him in every situation. It was very important, and he did. He went right into that situation, seeing all the obvious flaws of that situation, what he perceived as flaws, he went into it anyway. And as usual, God came through, and Elijah was provided for, and he remained safe, right? So this unlikely hideout and this strange source of food actually ended up not only taking care of Elijah, but it grew his faith right because let's be honest how many people when you hear that would automatically think that was a great idea the first thing that came to my mind and maybe it's cuz i'm warped but the first thing that came to my mind was that they were going to be coming up you know and like regurgitating worms in his mouth <laughs> you know like a you know like birds feed their babies anybody else think that no just me but anyway that's that's not what happened he actually brought him you know when it says that he was bringing bread and meat uh, the word bread in the Hebrew actually is, is, is more generalized than that. It could include nuts and fruits and berries. So he probably ate a pretty decent menu, just, I mean, from the mouth of a raven. But anyway, so God came through. Now, to this day, have you ever noticed that God grows our faith by placing us in some of the most unlikely places in some of the most unlikely situations? Has anybody here experienced that before? Listen, I'll tell you what. When I lost my business, I'll never forget. When I lost that business, I could not understand why God allowed that. And I know it's probably not real Christian-like to say that I doubted, but I did. I'm going, I don't understand. I've tried to do everything you want me to do, and now you've got me in one of the biggest holes. Notice how I quickly shift, shifted the blame to him, like it was all his fault, you know? And, but I did. I didn't understand why he allowed that, because I went from doing pretty well to wondering how I'd pay my bills and wondering how I'd get groceries. That's a, that's a big change in your life. That was a difficult situation, a rough place for me to be in. But now I know why God allowed that. He allowed that so I would actually experience the power of his provision. So I would not just be one of those people that preach about it and say, oh, you can, you can trust in him, but someone who had to actually experience. I had no choice but to trust him, and he did not let me down. I mean, I owed more than I could ever hope to pay back. And it was crazy how, how I just didn't miss anything. I mean, money would come in from the strangest places, and I mean, I can't explain it. It was, you know, when they say the ravens were bringing, you know, him his meals, I kind of understand because I would get, you know, money and blessings coming to me that I did not ask for, that I didn't know how they understood I needed it, and it just showed up. And God really, really taught me a lot through that, right? And, And before long, all I could do after seeing everything he had done was just thank him for letting me lose everything, and I literally did that. And you talk about a strange prayer, but I actually thank God for letting me lose everything. Because losing everything made me realize without faith I didn't really have anything anyway. So it really taught me a lot losing everything. And the funny thing is now, I just don't worry much about anything. I just don't. Not for long anyway. You know, and I've had people tell me, I'll say, well, I think we should do that. Where are we going to get the money? I go, God's going to provide that. Don't worry about that. They're like, how can you feel that way? I'm like, oh, let me tell you a story. You know, because I remember how he provided. And so it it just teaches you a lot when you have to completely rely on him. And now I know God's 100% faithful. I don't worry about it. You imagine now, I I mean, this probably did a lot for Elijah's faith. So maybe if you're in one of those, you know, situations right now where you're in a difficult or a strange place and you can't see why God has you there or how God's going to use that in your life. I mean, sometimes those strange situations make you question God. But listen, don't whine and don't give up, okay? Just ask God, where do you want me to meet the ravens? Because listen, I promise you, he has provision for you somewhere in that situation you're in. He's just waiting for you to ask him where, and when you trust him, he will provide. So just ask him, hey, where do you want me to meet the ravens, and I'll go. In other words, you're saying, listen, I know I I know I don't understand the situation, but I do understand you. And you promised to provide for me and take care of me. So listen, here's the deal. You show me what to do and I'll do it. I believe you'll take care of me. Because I guarantee you, if you're in that situation, he's wanting to show you something. Just like he did me, just like he did Elijah. Now let's move on. You think about it. What happens when that brook dries up? We knew that was going to happen, right? So after a while, you know, God has to up the stakes. All right, now, Elijah has to be trained. And you're going to see why in the weeks to come, some of the things God uses him to do. But he ups the stakes here quite a bit in the student phase of Elijah's training. 1 Kings 17.7 says, It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which uh, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, listen to this, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her again and said, please bring me a piece of the bread uh, in your hand. But she said, as the Lord, listen, your God, that's going to be important, as the Lord, your God lives, I have no bread only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may, that I may go in and prepare for me and my son so that we may eat it and, and die. Okay, it got really dark really fast there, didn't it? It went from drinking, drink of water to death, I mean quickly. Right, so when this brook dries up, God said, I have another thing I want you to do. I want you to relocate. I know, I know I said I'd provide for you, and I'm going I'm to protect you, and I'm going to feed you. So listen, just go find this certain widow. That's who I'm going to have to take care of you. Okay, now, God's directions were clear, but again, his directions may have seemed a little weird. Because, first of all, if you study in the Bible, widows are notoriously poor. You don't see wealthy widows in the Bible. Okay, almost every instance when you read about a widow in the Scriptures, they are poor. Very poor, right? So, think about it. Sure enough, he goes into the city, he finds this widow, and she's poor. I mean, extremely poor, right? All right, now, the second thing that's weird is she wasn't just poor. She was a Gentile. Okay, first he has an unclean bird bring him food. Now he sends him to a poor widow, Who is a Gentile? Okay, now, as you guys know, Jews and Gentiles just don't get along very well. The Jews felt like the Gentiles were unclean. Right? In New Testament times, they would walk around Samaria because they didn't want the dust from a Gentile settlement on their feet. Okay, so we're talking, they didn't like each other. And yet he goes, God says, go find this widow, and the widow he finds is poor, very poor, and is a Gentile. But Elijah did what he said. You know, God said do this, and Elijah agreed to do it. And so he sees her, and he asks her for a drink and a piece of bread. And what the widow told him was pretty interesting, because the widow said, listen, I'll get you some water, but understand something, I'm done. I don't have anything. I have a little flour in my hand and, and a little oil. And here's what my plan was until I met you. Mr. Beggar. I was going to get a few sticks, take this, and make a small cake of bread. There's a famine in the land. This is probably the last food I'm ever going to see. My son and I were going to eat this and then sit and wait to starve to death. I mean, this is what he finds. And most people would have thought, well, that's just great. Okay, that's just great. God, first you send me to a brook that you know is going to dry up, right? And you tell me that I'm going to get fed by unclean, nasty birds. Okay, I did that. Now you send me to find a widow, and it is a widow, and she's poor, and she's a Gentile, and she's got her last meal in her hand, and she's suicidal. Thank you, Lord. That's how a lot of people would have reacted. I don't believe Elijah did. I think that he learned from what just happened in his life. I think he thought, you know what? God provided for me by a brook that was drying up with birds that are considered unclean. Every day, twice a day, I got food. I had water. He took care of me. When I didn't understand, he's going to take care of me here. So he trusted God. And by doing so, he's going to not just learn something about God himself. He's going to teach this widow something about God. Look at this. 1 Kings 17, 13 says, Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. One thing you'll notice in Scripture is God always wants what you're going to give to him first. You're going to find that. Okay? He never wants our leftovers. He says, But make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. Now, I want you to think what this would sound like to people standing around. Imagine you were you know, a fly on the wall here. Imagine you're somebody walking by when this happens, and this guy says, hey, bring me some bread, and the lady says, listen, I am so broke, I'm going to make this small little, you know, biscuit. My son and I are going to eat it and then starve to death, and Elijah, <laughs> Elijah goes, uh-huh, make me one anyway, and make me, make it first, give it to me first. They probably would have been thinking, what a jerk, wouldn't you? And this widow was sitting here saying, you know what, this is all I got from you, my son, and then we're just going to sit here until we starve to death. And this guy says, I'm a man of God. Give me some of your food that, you know, you don't have. Right? I mean, think about that for a second. All right, verse 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she... And her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. So for some reason, maybe desperation, I don't know, the widow agreed. She agrees to give him a piece of what little bread she has first. She agrees to that. Now think about it. Most people would have said, really, you want my last bite and I have a child, really? But she agreed to it for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe, you know, she sensed something good about him. I don't know why. But as a result of trusting him and giving him that, God miraculously miraculously saved not only Elijah, but her and her son, and sustained him all the way through it. And no matter how many times they went to the jar of flour, how many times they went for the oil, it was always in there. It never ran out. It never ran out. So this is a pretty big miracle, isn't it? Listen, you know, before I move on, there are times in our lives when, you know, our proverbial brooks go dry, aren't there? And how you respond to that is really, really important. How Elijah responded teaches us a lot here. Because when they do, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, I mean, we usually start whining and asking why, don't we? When things start going wrong. I mean, when our our relationships run dry. And we start saying, why, God? And we get all upset. Well, what have I done? Why is it that we always think God's punishing us when something goes wrong? You ever notice that? I heard a preacher say one time, you need to praise God he doesn't punish you every time you do something wrong. Because you would be punished like every second of every day. You know, but that's the first thing we do. Why, God? Why? He seemed to be the perfect man. <laughs> he seemed to, she seemed to be the perfect woman, whatever the case may be. We start complaining when our relationships run dry, when our jobs run dry when our good health runs dry, right? Often we just ask him and, and 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 whine and complain and and then go to our pastors and whine and complain. Trust me. Whine and complain, That's you know, that's what we do. You know, but maybe instead of doing that, we should just stop and think. Because there's some things I notice that we never think about. Now, Elijah did. Elijah did think about it. See, Elijah thought back to, well, you know what, I was in a rough spot before. And, you know, he told me to go to a brook that was going to, run out of water. And he told me to sit and wait for a bird to feed me twice a day. And as crazy as it sounded, God came through for me. So even though this widow's poor, even though she's, you know, pretty much suicidal and ready to die, and even though she's a Gentile, I'm going to trust him. He remembered what God had done before. You know, maybe before we start whining, we we should stop and think about all the times God has come through for us in the past. Because if you notice, we just seem to forget that. We just seem to forget everything God's ever done for us in the past and just whine about what's going on right this very second. We just seem to do that often, right? And it it bothers me. And to be honest with you, it's a good thing I'm not God because I'd go, you know what? Suffer. You never remember anything I do for you anyway. You never thank me for anything, but you blame me for everything. So just suffer. Aren't you glad I'm not God? You see, God is gracious and gives us what we don't deserve. Right? But I just don't understand why we don't just, we don't just think for a second. Maybe, maybe God has put me in this situation because he wants to teach me or someone close to me something. And this is how he's going to teach him. Heck, maybe, maybe I'll just thank him for it. Maybe I'll just thank him for letting me be in this situation. Because I know he doesn't do anything that's not for my good. And I know this situation is going to work out for my good. So I'm just going to thank him ahead of time. How often do we do that? Rarely, if ever. Maybe even expect God to act like God and maybe heal that illness. You know, maybe replace that job. Maybe renew that friendship or renew that relationship. Maybe God has something better than what we have, but he knows we won't ever seek it because we don't have enough faith. So he has to let the brook run dry before we'll ever seek anything better than what we have. Maybe that's why. You know, I just don't know. But, you know, I think Elijah was learning this, but the widow, not so much. Now, you would think she would learn. Don't you think that would be a pretty big miracle that you have a jar of flour that never runs out and a jar of oil that never runs out and everybody around you starving to death? Okay, let's see if that sinks in, because next thing you know, they're in another tough spot. First Kings 17:17. 17, 17. It said, Now, it came about that after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there, were no, there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, now think about this and put this in relation to when you have a problem. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. She forgot that he saved her and her son's life. But now she's saying, you come to put my son to death. Verse 19, he said to her, give me your son, right? Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and uh, laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, "O Lord, my God, you have also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, "O Lord. My God, I pray to you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he was revived. Elijah took the child and brought him uh, from the upper room into the house and gave gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Okay, so listen, God had already proved he was faithful. He didn't have to do this again. He'd already proven he was faithful. He saved Elijah. He saved the widow. He saved her son. Everything he did was a miracle. But evidently, she wasn't buying into it. And now this happens. And the widow forgot everything he had done, just like we do. Forgot everything he had done. And immediately starts saying, why'd you come here? Sure, you're a man of God. Now you're hearing my son's dead. She forgot everything that had just happened. It was all about what was happening in that moment. And you know, this is going to sound terrible. But maybe that's precisely why God allowed this to happen. Did you ever think about that? Because evidently, this woman's fate was still pretty weak. And maybe the reason her son had to die was because she needed to see a greater example of the power of God to actually get it. So he's like, I see you didn't learn anything in my last class. So now we're going to go to the advanced course of teaching you about faith. I think the whole reason this happened was because she still didn't believe. See, I believe God wanted her to be a voice to the Gentiles. He wanted her to go and tell her Gentile friends, you won't believe the God of Israel. I know we have all these pagan gods, but let me tell you what the the one true God of Israel did for me and my family during that drought. You remember that drought when everybody was starving to death? Let me tell you what he did. Flower never ran out. You know, she just, that's what he, I believe he wanted her to be a voice to the Gentiles, but her faith was still pretty weak. And so I think he felt like he had to train her again, had to keep teaching. So, once again, aren't we just like this? When bad things happen, we forget everything. Just like I said earlier, we forget everything that's already happened and we start whining, immediately start whining. You know, sometimes I think people have cancer so that God can show people he can heal cancer. Do you ever think about that? Sometimes, I I know this sounds terrible, but I'll tell you, I lost a loved one in my family, and that resulted in six of us coming to Christ. You know, God does things in ways we don't understand, but one thing we do understand, when he does it, he does it for our good and for our purpose, right? I don't think we understand that. You know, when you lose a job, maybe he's got a better one. We just don't think about those things. We don't learn from our bad situation. And there's one thing i found over the years of being a student. You know, learning from God. There's one thing I've learned that's without exception. And that is either learn to trust God in the hard times or expect a lot of hard times. Now that's true. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that because it's just true. Okay, if you don't learn... You'll be right back where you are. Listen, when something bad happens to me, I change the way I pray. Okay, trust me on this one. I don't pray God get me out of this anymore. I never pray that. I don't say, God, make this go away anymore. I never pray that. You know when I pray? God, I don't know why I'm here, but I trust you. And show me everything you want to show me why I'm here, because I don't want to be back here again. And uh, listen, don't think that's because I have such great faith. I just really don't want to be there again. And I know that if I don't learn it, I will be there again. It's happened time and time to me. So that's my prayer. I am terrified to hear when I hear somebody say, well, I've just been praying that God gets me out of this. And I'm like, shh. Don't pray that. You don't want to get out of this until you know exactly why you're here. Learn everything you can learn from this. Or you will be back here again. See, hard times are often the curriculum. And God is the teacher of that curriculum, right? And since we are the students, we better start learning what he's teaching in that curriculum. Because if we don't, what happens in school if you don't pass the curriculum? You have to take the class over again. So I've heard, right? I mean, you have to come back and do it again, right? So it's just like that. Listen, if God is trying to teach you something and you refuse to learn it, He's not going to go, ah, well, maybe you don't need it. That's not going to happen. He's not going to say, take an elective and I'll forget about this. That's not how it works. You know what? He's going to say, oh, I know you don't like this and I'm sorry, but you're going to take it over again. And if you don't learn at that time, you're going to take it over again. I'm not going to let you come out of this class until you learn the curriculum because I put the curriculum in your life because there's something big it's going to do for you when you learn it. So learn it or Fall in love with hard times, because you're going to spend a lot of time here. You guys know what I mean? Am I the only one that has like repeated some of God's classes like eight times? Anybody? You know, I mean, just, you know, theoretically. Perhaps maybe about something simple like temper. Right? Maybe, maybe something simple like road rage. I'm just theoretically speaking off the top of my head. No, but there are things in my life that God's tried to get out of there, and they haven't gone yet. And I always end up right back in a situation because I didn't learn from it. Listen, learn from those situations. Elijah was put in these situations not because God was trying to punish him. God was preparing it. You know, when you are in a difficult situation, God is priming and preparing you for something. What? Well, you'll never know if you don't get past that class. But it's something big. In that class, you have to have the knowledge that's in it if you want to do that something that he has for you. And you've got to endure it until you learn it. Right, And I'm telling you, what he's doing for Elijah here is prep for something that's really, really huge. Because Elijah is going to have to have the kind of faith that is brave and believes that God can do the absolute impossible when every odd is against you, when the world is against you, when your very life is in danger, when it looks like you're done, God is going to come through and come through big, and he is going... To prepare him for that. And when you see how Elijah performs, and you'll see it next week, you'll understand why he needed this kind of training. So before I close, I, I want you to commit to something for me. I want you to commit to stop looking at your difficulties as God punishing you, first of all. I mean, Christians, we've got to stop that. you imagine what unbelievers think when they hear us talking? You know, I don't know why God sent this on me. I don't know why God sent that on me. They're probably thinking, yeah, I don't want to serve that guy. He sends terrible stuff on his people all the time. you got to stop thinking like that. Here's the thing. I want you to start looking at your, at your trials, at your difficulties, at your, hard time, you know, at your hard times. I want you to start looking at those and saying, okay, this is the curriculum. There's something valuable in here. He wants me to learn, and he wants me to learn it because he wants to do something amazing with me that's going to change my life and the life of others. So God, let me get it the first time through. I trust you that I'm here for a reason and I'm going to stay right here till you show me why. And I'm telling you, you will transition, you will graduate from student to servant. Now, will you stay the servant? No, you'll probably have to go back to school for refresher courses later. But anyway, for that moment, you will graduate and be the servant we talked about. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask you, would to please bow your heads? this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. Uh, And... Here's what that is. Basically, we just know the Word of God's powerful and it speaks to people in different ways. And I've always, 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 no matter what I'm preaching, offered the opportunity to, you know, to have someone step up for prayer. And, and while every head's bowed, I'm not going to call you out or chase you down, but just if you'd like me to pray for you, you're not sure where you stand with God, there's something you're trying to work through, just make eye contact with me you, and put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I'm going to bless those people and I'm going to pray through it. I'm going to pray for you. I really do pray for these people. If you're listening online or watching, I'm praying for you. But, believers, listen, I want to pray for us today because, you know, I say this every week the world's getting crazy. And God needs servants. He needs servants who are bold, fearless, full of faith, but we'll never be those servants if we're not first the students. So I'm going to pray that we humble ourselves and try to learn from every opportunity, even the hard ones. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and your grace, and I thank you, Lord, that you've made a way that we can have eternal life, despite who we are, despite what we've done, regardless of our reputation. Your grace is so powerful that if we're willing to believe that what Jesus did was enough, no matter who we are or who we've been, you will give us eternal life and we'll be one of yours. So if there's someone here listening that doesn't know you, I just pray that whatever's holding them back, you wash it out of their mind, because you love them so much that knowing who they are and what they'd be, you sent your son to pay their sin debt in full so that all they'd have to do is believe. And if they make that choice, I pray that they would contact us. But God, for those of us who are believers, we have become big babies. We are used to getting our way. We're used to quick solutions. We're just not very good students anymore, Lord. I just pray that we get a new totally different outlook about our struggles about our situations no matter what our situation is let us search it and find what you would have us to learn from it so that we can become the powerful servants that can draw others to you and enlarge the borders of your kingdom God use us powerfully and teach us to be the servants you can God we pray as we leave here that you'd keep us safe Let us live what we profess, Lord. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.